We'll see if better late than never is true today as we see what John has to say about our Lord and see the result of how we react to it. This is Bible Study Podcast, and we're coming at you now. Welcome to another edition of Bible Study Podcast. Uh, my name is Justin, and, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join me today again as we continue our study of John's Gospel. Um, I, I just want to apologize for you for uh, not having this out right at the beginning of Friday like we normally do. Uh, I normally will post the podcast on Thursday night, and it will come up on Friday morning, but this Thursday night I actually had to go and visit the emergency room. Uh, I had a uh, pretty bad back strain, and... Uh, so uh, they took care of me, they gave me some pills, and I'm doing fine, but I'm a little bit later in posting the podcast, so uh, please excuse me if you will on that, and uh, today we'll be finishing up the third chapter of the Gospel of John, and so that means next week we'll break new ground for the podcast as we kind of venture into chapter four and beyond, and we'll start with a look at the Samaritan woman at the well, just to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit in terms of where we are in the book. We're venturing through what I would like to call a section on others' testimony about Jesus. We've already seen what Nicodemus has found out. We heard last week what John the Baptist said. This week I believe we will hear what John the Evangelist has to say. And then over the next few weeks, we'll see the woman at the well and the government official at Capernaum. So hopefully now you have a bit of a grasp of what's going on and kind of where we're heading with the gospel at this point. I'd like to remind you as well that before we begin today... If there are any questions which you may run across, you know whether they're about this podcast or about anything in general, feel free to send them to me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. Also, please feel free to go onto our website, BibleStudyPodcast.org, and check out our other host, as well as the more section on my podcast for today, as you'll be able to see the, the other host's email and mine, and you'll also be able to see our completed outline of John chapter 3. Hope that's helpful, and uh, with no further ado, let's get started with a word of prayer. Our Father, we pause to turn to you and to study your word for it is truth. Lord, we desperately need you, and, and we pray that you will guide us in your light and will help us to fully rely on you. Bless our efforts to study, Lord. Heal our pains and help us to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now as we start today's section, which is found in John chapter 3, verses 31 to 36, there's something of a technical note that I would like to mention at this point. I feel we kind of need to make at this point. In the Greek text, you know, which was the original language of the New Testament, there was no such thing as a quotation mark. <laughs> now while this may seem kind of trivial or seem like it may not matter to us, what this really means is that some areas, like here in John 3, from verses 27 to 36, it's somewhat hard to figure out if John the Baptist said all this or if he just said some of it. Now, in order to figure this out, we, we usually like to look at the context. And most scholars, after doing just that, have come to the consensus that the quotation marks should probably end after verse 30, which is where we ended last time. If this is the case, and, and I think it probably was, then we have this section of John here, verse 31 to 36, where the writer, John the Apostle, or John the Evangelist, he's basically giving his testimony, his commentary, if you will, 
to the point of what we need to know. So I'm going to work under the assumption that John the Apostle did in fact write verses 31 to 36. And in that same vein, I'm going to say that this section has a particular role in being placed here, right before we get into Jesus' first teaching conversation with the Samaritan woman. Now with that in mind, let's go ahead and get into the passage by reading verse 31 and 32. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Now right away, John is picking up on what John the Baptist has been talking about that we read last week. Just as the baptizer had said that Jesus was above him, now John is picking that ball up and running with it as he mentions that he who comes from above is above all. The he that John is referring to is Christ himself, echoing what Jesus said earlier in verse 13 of John 3, that no one has gone up into heaven, but the Son of Man has descended from there. You know, kind of, it's this thought that John says, the one who is from above, he is above all. But just in case we didn't catch it, it continues that whoever is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. In other words, there is a fundamental difference between the words of Christ and the words of any human teacher, including John, the teacher who some even confused for Christ. So John, the writer here, has basically let us know at this juncture that the two are not even in the same ballpark, much less to be comparable. He concludes verse 31 by reiterating again that he who comes from heaven is above all. I think it's interesting to note here in verse 31 that The one who is from the earth speaks of the earth, implying that in the same measure, the one who is from heaven speaks of heaven. Meaning when Jesus speaks, he is not just speaking the words of men, but in fact, he is giving the word of God. Now we'll touch on this more in a little bit, but it is this thought that John picks up in verse 32 as he notes that Jesus only speaks of what he has seen and heard of. That's what he testifies of. Basically, John is making it clear that Jesus' words are radically different than anything the people have heard before. Normally, a word from God was given to the people through a prophet or through the scripture. You know, to speak of heaven is to only speak of what one can imagine about it, or to speak of the will and the ways of the Lord is to kind of speak about what you think they are. However, it's different with Jesus. He's not just speaking about what he's heard or what he's learned. He is speaking from experience. You know, this again echoes Jesus' very words in John 3.11 as he told Nicodemus that he spoke of what he has seen. Jesus, in speaking, is speaking the literal word of God. And yet, similar to what we saw back in the prologue, no one receives his testimony. Here's Jesus speaking on what he has seen, on what he knows, and yet the world does not accept it. When he speaks of God the Father, he is speaking as one in perfect communion with him. When he tells of the Holy Spirit, he is talking from experience. And yet the people would not believe him. It's at this point that our passage takes a turn, but it's not one that should really surprise us. As we've gone through John's gospel, which I believe was intended to be very apologetic in nature, we have seen instances where John will stop, kind of step back for a second, and show us a comparison between the true way and the false way, what is right and what is wrong, between the one who follows what is right and the one who does what is wrong. 
I think this is what's going on with the remainder of our text today. So let's begin by reading from verse 33 to the beginning of verse 36. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. So we see that there are, in fact, some who do receive this testimony. There's not a universal rejection of the truth. And those, you see, those who do accept his testimony are said to have put their seal on the fact that God is true. What this means is that a person who accepts the teaching of Christ is essentially saying that they believe that what God is saying is true. To do otherwise, meaning to reject his words, is akin to saying that God is a liar. I'd like to remind you at this point that this is precisely what faith is. Faith is not just believing in God. Faith is believing in the authority of one who is communicating something to you. If I tell you that there is an accident on the left side of the road that you can't see, and you should turn right instead, if you believe me, you know, if you decide to turn right, you're believing me in faith. You're believing that what I said was true because you think I'm credible. Despite the fact that you haven't seen the accident yourself, you believe that it's there. In the same way, when we believe that what Jesus says is true, even when we haven't seen it, we are trusting in faith that he is truthful. We are saying because he is God, we can trust his words even though we can't see it. We haven't experienced it yet. Why is this so strict? Why is it either follow Christ's saying and be right or reject them and be wrong? Why can't one be in the right and reject Christ's saying? Well, verse 34 tells us that it's because Jesus speaks the words of God. In fact, he gives the Spirit without measure. Saying this, John is telling us a couple of things. First, he is telling us that Jesus is not like the prophets who had the Spirit come upon them to prophesy and then leave, but rather... He has a full endowment of the Holy Spirit, which is why he can give it without measure. In other words, the Spirit of God is always with him. Further, as we mentioned earlier, the words that he speaks are not the words of a man, but are the words of God, meaning they are true in all that they say. This is why back in John 3:21, the one who practices the truth is the one who comes to the light, is a way of saying the one who listens to the words of God he is the one who comes to be saved. By calling Jesus he whom God has sent, John is literally affirming Christ's deity by noting that he came from heaven. He came from above and has been sent down to earth. As we'll continue to see, John refers to Jesus as one who is sent from God 39 times in this gospel. So this is quite a big deal and it's probably an, quite an impressive claim. Finally, John closes out this section by telling us the source of Jesus' authority. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. In other words, the acts of the Son have the same power as the acts of the Father. Further, we begin to see that this relationship between the Father and the Son is one of intimacy and trust, as the Father gives all things into Jesus' hands. As he closes his section on the one who listens to Christ, John reminds us that the one who believes in Jesus, he will have eternal life. However, as there always is with a comparison, there must be a downside. The end of verse 36 reads, But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
You see, friends, we have a beautiful picture of one who follows Christ, who believes in his word and is given the free gift of eternal life, beginning now, as soon as one turns to Jesus. We see the picture of how that person is saved from the darkness and is made to be a child of God. But for the one who rejects Jesus, he is rejecting God himself. He has called God a liar, and as a result, he will not see life everlasting, but rather the wrath of God lives on him. It's interesting to note that this is the only time that John uses the word wrath in his entire gospel, or his epistles for that matter. It carries the meaning of a settled displeasure of God against sin. It's not a sudden move or a passionate anger, but instead it's a continuous outpouring of God's necessary reaction to evil, his necessary judgment. As a Johannine scholar Merrill Tinney has noted, the rejection of his son can be followed only by retribution. Acceptance of Christ is a personal appropriation of God's truth, an appropriation that might be compared to the practice of endorsing a check to cash it. So as we have seen so many times in this book, it comes down to you and how you react to Jesus Christ. Will you accept him? If so, we are told that he dispenses the Spirit without measure, that he will save us from the darkness of sin, that he will strengthen us, that he will give us eternal life, that he will bring us into fellowship with God. However, I must also ask the question, are you willing to reject him? Will you turn down his offer of grace? Will you turn back to the sin and darkness that surrounds you? Will you deny the truth and live with the reality that God's wrath his continuous displeasure and judgment will live with you from now to forevermore. The check has been written, friends. Jesus has gone to the cross to pay our debt of sin and has made his free gift available to us. Will you sign that check? Will you accept him? I'd like to pray with you as we close today. Our Father, I, I thank you for those who may be hearing this study and have felt convicted about their standing with you. Lord, I pray that you will guide them to someone who can lead them into your loving arms and show them the grace that has been given to us. Help us to remember the height from which we have fallen. Help us to look to you to pull us back up. It's in your Son's holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, until next week, may God bless and keep you.